the only way to get through burnout is to actually go through what it is that you're dealing with. You don't recover from burnout by avoiding the issues that brought on the situation. The only way over it is to go through it. Welcome to the Resilient Faith at Work podcast. I'm Ken Kennard, and I'm joined by Dr. Chip Roper and Sarah Evers. In this episode, we continued our discussion about the dilemmas we face at work, specifically one of the biggest thieves of joy at work, burnout. It's the topic that got the second biggest response in our survey, and almost everyone will experience it at some point in their career. The conversation covered the definition of burnout, the causes, and even some strategies to battle burnout so it doesn't defeat you. This live webinar was recorded in April of 2022, and Dr. Chip got us started with an insight we gained from the Dilemmas Project survey. So 50% of the people that responded uh, to this questionnaire said burnout is one of the top dilemmas they face in their daily work. And it kind of aligns with what we see in some of our, in our clients. You know, we, we're coaches and all of us have coach, all of us have a client load. And I, I just looked, I just went through my list and I estimated around 45% of the clients that come to, to do work with me are experiencing at least some symptoms of burnout, if not burnout per se. So, you know, we've got all this research and if you do any, if you Google burnout, you're just gonna find tons of statistics and tons of articles on it. And and it's, it's just, ever since the pandemic, it's become a, a term that's just flashing red in front of us all the time. Uh, but it's not just kind of a thing that's out there. It's not just a, a statistic, it's personal. At least it's been personal for me. Um, yeah, in 2007, I went through a period of burnout in, a, in my former career. So I was a pastor. It was year 14 out of 20, and I really was burned out. I was tired. I was frustrated. I was not motivated. And the, and the signs started popping up in some very interesting and even odd places. So I, I like to say it all started in the hot tub. And uh, just stick with, with me on this. This is very, this is rated G illustration, trust me. Um, but, you know... So three or four mornings a week, I would go to the YMCA and I would work out in the gym. And then I would kind of afterwards, there was a there was a there was a hot tub in the corner of the larger pool room. And I would treat myself to just a little bit of unwinding time in the hot tub. And I found myself spending more and more time there so I didn't have to get out and go to the locker room and shower and go to work. And, you know, True confessions here. Sometimes I just skipped the workout and I just went right to the hot tub. And I just, just I, I would just, I just didn't want to do anything that involved stress or exertion. I was really fried. And, you know, I would rather, I'd rather walk around like a prune all day than to get out and actually go to the office and do something. It was, it was kind of, kind of funny. And then when I did get to the office, I would come in late and I'd find it really hard to concentrate. And I don't know, I got, I got done what I had to get done, but I didn't get a lot done. And I would often leave early because I had to take a kid somewhere, uh, sporting practice, that kind of thing. And, um, you know, I just, I couldn't concentrate there either. And then I was a pastor. That was my job. That was my, my vocation at the time. And so every week uh, I had to stand in front of a group of people and be convincing. And, and some of you probably do that in different ways. Some of you, you know, you're a leader and there's a group of people that's looking to you for direction or insight or inspiration. You might be in sales and, you know, you're kind of, your emotional reality is leaking out of you if you're in front of people all the time. You can't really hide it. And um, it happened multiple times. Some well-meaning people would come and visit with me 
and they would sit down awkwardly across the desk from me in my office and they would tell me, you know, I'd kind of lost my zing. So it was, it was just leaking out all the, all over. I was burned out. And so, you know, I didn't want to keep going, but I didn't know what else to do. And it, it was kind of a, it was a tough season. And I, so I relate to it. If you're feeling burned out, I, t I get it. I've been there. Uh, mercifully, I didn't quit. I didn't quit while I was burned out. I did found some ways to catch my breath and re-engineer my approach to my work and my calling. You know, I invested in coaching. I figured out ways on a weekly basis to get a little bit more helpful solitude and rest. And I even took a kind of mini sabbatical. It was about six weeks long, uh, which I know many people can't do. I was fortunate enough to be able to do that. And it really was just a kind of reset that I needed. And uh, from that point on, um, I got, still got tired. I still got frustrated. I still got stressed out. But I don't really think I really hit that, that kind of a, a, a low again. And so we want to talk today uh, in, this, in this episode, we want to talk about burnout. We want to talk about what it is and what causes it and how we get on the other side of it. And uh, we're going to begin with a definition. Uh, so, so burnout is a chronic, it's chronic, that's the big word. It's chronic dynamic of fatigue, low motivation, and joyless performance at work. If you're burned out, your performance is going down. Um, you know, if you're just grinding it out and still, still sort of, you don't like it and you're tired and you're grumpy, uh, but you're still performing, you're probably, you're not quite to burnout yet. Um, it's, it's such a ubiquitous term these days, you know, 90% of, in some surveys, 90% of workers report being burned out. I think it's probably overused. I think we're, just like we love self-medicating, we love self-diagnosing today. And it's, it's probably a little bit overused. Um, but the idea is that, that it's, 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 so even if it's overdiagnosed, it's still real. And, um, you know, it's, it's, it's the kind of situation where you, the normal things that you try to do aren't, aren't helping. Uh, so like you just take a long weekend or you do something that you really enjoy or, you, you know, the, the sort of normal, you do a little extra, a little extra physical exercise, tune up your diet. Like you just, the normal tweaks don't get you out of it and you just can't seem to get your motivation or your groove back. So uh, that's burnout is a sense of chronic fatigue with your work where you're not motivated, you can't get that motivation back and it's affecting your performance and obviously affecting your mood and your outlook beyond work. So that's kind of that's kind of kind of what it is and so I just want to throw it out there and bring Sarah and Ken on and see how do you guys relate to this? Burnout? Yes. I can say that I relate chip when you were talking about that word chronic, I did a quick Google search to make sure I was framing it accurately because chronic has this idea of persisting, it's long lasting, it's habitual, it's, it's difficult to get rid of, and it's gonna keep recurring over and over again. Um, and I think of a season that I was in early in the 2000s. It wasn't that I was just exhausted and I wasn't simply bored in my job. It was actually burnout. I, I remember it clearly because in those days I was staying awake way too late on Sunday nights simply because I knew as soon as I closed my eyes and went to sleep on Sunday night, I was gonna wake up and it would be Monday all over again. I'd have to dive into another week of leading work I wasn't excited about. I simply had like nothing in my tank. So Sunday nights would roll around and I would do whatever I could to not fall asleep. Just simply stay awake and push Monday off. And that created a really difficult scenario on Monday when I had to wake up and I wasn't only unmotivated to do my work, I was also exhausted from staying awake so late. 
And it didn't actually solve the problem, right? It actually grew the problem bigger and bigger for me. And like I said, this was early in the 2000s. So that was, what, 20 years mm. ago. Wow. Yeah. Avoidance. That's a key sign. That's, that's, yeah, that's what I was doing too. Ken, what do you think? Uh, for me, burnout hit in my uh, early 20s just after a great season of ministry. I was traveling. I was working all through Siberia, doing music, traveling, doing ministry, and just came home and found that I was completely exhausted and could not recover. Uh, It wasn't like go to sleep, come back the next day. It was like two or three weeks of depression, inability to adjust to the time. It was everything from time frame or time zone, you know, recovery to just like, I just just have no desire to do anything. And um, so it was a short season, like two or three weeks, as opposed to like, I don't know if that would be considered chronic. But definitely felt like I, I can't do anything. I don't want to do anything. There's nothing in this, you know, stuff that I used to love doing and people I used to enjoy being with. Um, I was just so completely empty out of this exhaustion of outlay of, of emotional, spiritual, physical energy. I just realized, oh, I'm doing this wrong. There's something wrong about how I'm approaching this. It was my first experience with ever feeling like I just did not want to do any kind of work. Yeah. Yeah, it's good. I mean, I think both those are great examples. And um, there has to be, it's just, I think the point, one of the points we're making is this is longer than a bad day or a stressful week. Uh, and maybe, you know, it's, it's hard to tell, like, um, how, where is the line? I mean, right, this is, a lot of this is a judgment call, but it's, you know, it's an extended period where you just can't get that sense of motivation back, uh, even even from trying. So let's get into some causes of burnout. Top 10 list, um, in no particular order, uh, like it was so struggle, it was a struggle to think about, well, which one's number one? I, I don't know. I think it's different for all of us, but I just will roll through these uh, quickly and then Sarah and Ken and I will talk about it. So one cause of, uh, of burnout is violating your values. You know, like when you have to live or work in a way that where you're, you're compromising. So like, you know, if you work all the time, but you really value your family, you're going to have inherent tension. If you value having a connection with people, but your work, and I'm seeing this with some of my finance friends, you know, they used to have a very, like a very human interaction. And now it's just, they're just, they're getting all these instant messages of, of trade orders and it feels very mechanical. And so when you when your values get violated on a, a long, over a long period of time, uh, and they could be all kinds of different values, um, that causes burnout. A second cause is isolation, and it's 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 a lack of, of of having safe friends and confidants to share the journey with. Um, we would probably suggest that you need at least some outside the bubble of your workplace who are truly safe. They don't and don't have a vested interest in your career. Um, you know, we need to have intimate relationships with our spouses if we're married, but we often need somebody. Your spouse probably has a vested interest in your work in some way or another. And so you need somebody, they're not fully, I mean, share it, you know, you got what I'm saying, but I think that that isolation of not having some trusted confidence is really important. Um, the third, it's interesting because Ken's example plays into this one is success. We don't think of success as a cause of burnout, but when you hit a milestone, when you reach a mountaintop, when you accomplish something, um, it can be a real letdown afterwards it's a, actually a setup um, and we see this in clients who 
build and grow a business and they sell it and then they don't know what to do next. And it's not just that they don't know what to do, it's they don't want to do anything. Um, they're just completely fried. And, and so success is an interesting and surprise cause of, of burnout. In fact, it, it plays into the biblical example we're going to get to in a few minutes. Um, number four is chronic toxicity. And we know we kind of have a sense of what like a toxic boss is or a toxic work environment looks like. Um, and, and we know there's study after study that just talks about the damage that unhealthy leadership, unhealthy culture uh, can can do. But when you have to talk about, you know, no, just the number of hours or demands of, of a job or an industry can also sometimes it's turn toxic depending on what it is and how we approach it. So there's that idea that we just get. You know, we just we just get the stuffing beaten out of us on a daily basis. Well, you can only handle that for so long. Um, number five is failure to recognize change, and then this is another one that that we're seeing in our among our friends and clients. That there here's the reality: for many of us, the way we're working has changed over the last two years. And I've had a number of clients where they're they're coming in and saying, "I feel burned out," and I'll say, "Well, when did that start?" And they'll say, "Well." in the last couple of years and we'll just start to unpack oh well you know the way i used to go to work the way i used to work well i used to work in an office i used to work with people i used to have certain types of interaction and that's all evaporated and i might be more efficient now but um but my experience of work is still changed and so that's that but there's other things that change you know another another scenario in the change is that a company gets sold or a boss moves on and as soon as that happens, your your lived experience of your job is different, and um, you have to adapt to it. And you, there, there, some of the some of the stuff that really worked for you may have may have evaporated, and that can lead to burnout. Um, number six is your we call it your contribution zone, and it's understanding that you know, I don't know if your parents told you this or not, uh, but if they did. It was a lie, and it's this. You can't be good at everything, even if you try. You're wonderful, but you can't be good at everything. That's, that's a, and, but that's, there's a whole generation of parents that were told that's what they should tell their kids because their parents told them they weren't good at anything. So you know they just kind of went to the opposite end of the spectrum. And it's not true. All of us can be good at some things. And you know we believe that part of the image of God in each of us and the fact that we're made by him is that there's certain things every single person was made to do and do really well. And it's part of how we reflect his, his nature. But if you don't know what that is, um, you can make some poor decisions in your, in your career and you can end up burned out. So one of the examples we see a lot is we see people who are great at selling who get promoted into management and they hate it. They're not good at managing. They don't even make as much money and everybody's miserable because they don't know their contribution zone, then they get burned out. So it just, it's, a, it's pretty predictable. Uh, a number seven is a lack of agency or a lack of action. And you know, the idea of agency is that you can do things to change your situation, to, to affect results in your environment. And, and, even, and a lack of action is kind of related to it. There, uh, we feel like there's nothing we can do, but there's almost always things we can do. And when we get into a mode of thinking and believing, or maybe even being told erroneously, by the way, that we can't, there's nothing we can do, we just have to accept it, it it's disempowering and it can lead to burnout. 
Number eight is a tough one, it's, but it's, it's really important, and it's your ego. And your ego is not your amigo, as my friend likes to say. Um, but our ego tells us we're the only one who can do it. We're the only one that can do it right. We're the only one that can get it done fast enough. Only one that can deliver what the client really wants, whatever. And we, by doing that, we shut everybody else out. We're not going to delegate. We're not going to bring up the next generation. We're not going to share, share the load. And we overload ourselves. And that leads to burnout. So ego is a big one. Uh, number nine is poor rhythms. And there was a thing by Seth Godin a while ago. I think it was called incrementalism. Seth uh, wrote Purple Cow, Tribes, a bunch of other stuff. Did a bunch of stuff at Google. But he talks about how we say, well, I'm just going to work this way for now. And I assume that things are going to get better later. And we do that with our rhythms, right? Like, I'm not going to exercise this week because I'm really busy this week, but I'll do it next week. And what happens? Next week never gets here. Well, it does, but next week's busy too. And so we just, we always have excuses for not getting rest, for not having what we would say is a Sabbath, uh, a 24-hour period where we don't work and we focus on things that, that replenish us and, and, and invest in spiritual connection. Um, you know, physical exercise, things like that. And we have poor rhythms and they catch up with us. So that's, that's a little bit more of a, of a systemic thing. And then the last one, number 10, is, I, we call, I call it spiritual skimming. And it's like many of us go through the motions of spiritual practices and spiritual community, a church or whatever, but we're really not there. We're not really present. We're not, we're not risking anything in the ways we interact with scripture with our spiritual friends and so we're just kind of checking a box and moving on and um i think about something jesus said which is kind of scary he just to talk he can he was it was it was a critique and he said these people honor me with their lips but their hearts their hearts are far from me and it's kind of like that's just a pretend surface thing and it's not deep so there's these 10 causes uh and trying to put them in the chat and we've got scripture verses that connect with these. They'll be in the blog post that follows up with this broadcast. You can check them out. But Ken and Sarah, what do you think? Top ten. What? Where? Where do they? How do these land for you? Well, they land right on target for me. I've got client names listed to each one of these top ten, and I put my name down next to one or two as well. So. I think these are spot on. It's a lot easier to put client names there. Isn't it? it sure is <laughs> It just feels better. You know, it feels there. better. Absolutely. You know, we don't say their names, of course, because we under, we believe in their confidentiality. But, it, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. But I wrote those names down because only I can see them. And I realized that there were also some zingers for me, too. It was a little bit personal. <laughs> Uh, but I do think that burnout is one of those things, whether it's this perceived burnout or an actual expression of a chronic situation, we see this in our clients often. And I've got a couple of clients falling into that uh, zone of uh, contribution, you know, where they're, they're working outside of their contribution zone. And part of it, I think, is because work is asking them to work outside of their zone and they're saying yes to it. Because it's really hard sometimes to draw boundaries with work. And um, when, you know, when your best contribution is in another area, but your company isn't asking for it, man, that's tough. Or they might be asking you to have a stretch season in something that isn't a good fit for you. So it's a really hard place to be when you're working outside of your zone of contribution. It is a hard place to be.
that's that's a tough place to be. And all of these, except for success, all of these on the surface look like to me kind of minor problems that don't necessarily need to de to develop burnout, right? They don't necessarily have to get to the level of burnout. And yet, if left unchecked, these are the perfect ways for burnout to creep in to an otherwise healthy uh, workplace. And so it seems to me like these are really good warning signs or you know things to look out for to, to shore up, to make us resilient against uh, the impending burnout that wants to creep in and take over. That's really interesting. Which, which, um, what's one that really hit, like hits home well, with each of you? Well, you, you mentioned, you mentioned success for me. That was definitely my problem at that early one. I, I think more likely now or the more sinister ones are the things like poor rhythms, uh, where, you know, to be out of rhythm a little bit, no big deal. And the next thing you know, right, you haven't slept well in a while. You haven't exercised in a while. I find myself, um, you're needing to really pay attention to those things because it's kind of sneaky and up on you. Yeah. Mm, yeah. yeah. And then there's a couple of things on this list that we ourselves are in complete control of, uh, like poor rhythms. We have agency over that, uh, spiritual skimming. We have agency over that as well. Um, and, and then there's that violating our values, which, you know, we have some control over it. Um, and, and chronic toxicity. If, if you're working with a boss or in a workplace that's toxic, there might not be a lot you can do to change that one. So I think that figuring out what's my role to play is pretty key. It goes back to number seven, that lack of agency. What influence do I have and what do I have control over and what is a situation that I simply need to exit? Yeah, those are that's really good. Uh, the ego one is. I mean, we have some. That's another one where we have, we have at least some work to do. I mean, this is something I, you know, we all, all of us work on. We work with leaders. Like we're asking this question, and I have this conversation every week with, uh, with executives. Like, what can you delegate? You know, and I have to think about it too. And our work together as a team. Um, what can you delegate? And it's not a once and done kind of question. It's not an over, like you don't get over it. You sort of have to keep cycling back into it. And it takes work to offload your work. And it's almost like it gets worse before it gets better. And then in that point, you're thinking, well, why am I doing all this? It'd be just better for me to do it myself. But when you get to the other side and when you get, when you really hand it off. So I, I think that one's one where it's like, it's just like when you get out of shape, like, you know, it, it took, it took months. It took months for me to look like this. It's not going to take, and it's not, it's not going to be a day to get back in the game, right? So it's sort of some of these things that it's like when we start to address them, it can feel a little overwhelming because it's an uphill climb. Um, but, you know, it's, it gets back to number seven, which is the action, taking action and, and moving back. Um, cool. Well, let's look at an example of somebody who was burned out uh, from scripture and and kind of their, their process back. Uh, to productivity and we actually don't really know if, I assume they had some joy and meaning too that the character's name is Elijah and um, their story is found in the book of first his, his story is found in the book of first Kings and in first Kings chapter 19 he's coming off this big victory it's it's this power there's this huge power contest and he wins or God wins and both really and so you'd think he's gonna be feeling great but uh, the loser was the queen so how's that going to go, right? Like, that's not going to go well. Uh, and she's not happy. She's not going to tolerate this. And so Elijah is exhausted and depressed and, 
and runs away. And basically, he tells God, "I'm done. I want to die. Like I don't want to do this anymore." Like so, that's that's a pretty good that's a pretty good headline for burnout, right? And you can read the story in Elijah or in First Kings chapter 19. It's like the first eight or nine verses. I really recommend that you do that. So, but what happens is, you know, he runs away from the threat of the queen, and um, and and God shows up and takes care of him. And it's really fascinating because the first thing that happens is um, God tells him to sleep, and he sleeps for several days. And he gets woken up, and there's food for him, and he eats, and then he goes back to bed, and. And he just goes through this cycle. It's it's kind of like he was in an all-inclusive resort or, or something. Like he's just like eating and sleeping. That's it. That's all he's doing. And um, so that's kind of the first part of his recovery process is just sleep and food. And it's really important um, if you're feeling this way to try and try and get to a place where you can get some sleep and you can eat healthy. Even just for, eat, just break the cycle of whatever's been going on and eat food and sleep is really, really important. And then Elijah goes away for 40 days, which some of us could probably do, and, um, and some of us probably can't. But that's what he does. He goes away for a while. So he's completely alone. And even if you can't go away uh, for, for 40 days, it's good to go away. It's good. To, some, sometimes with our folks that we guide through a, a personal retreat, we have them go away for a day, just a day. It's, it's, it's structured. It's purposeful, but it's also restful and replenishing. And so he gets solitude. And he's away for 40 days, and, um, and there's lots of ways to do that. You know, maybe you take a real weekend off where you unplug and you go away. Maybe it's just a day, like I said. Maybe you can get a vacation that's not like, sometimes we just spend a burn all our vacation. We just spend time with family. We spend time with other friends. We just, we just don't really get solitude. Um, and some of you may even have the option uh, for a leave of absence or something. Uh, you know, like you can actually take a mini sabbatical or a break. Uh, I'm sure... You're, you know, there's cases where you're that you have that much cachet, uh, and you could really do it if you asked. Um, but anyway, so he, there's this sense of solitude, this break, and during that break, some interesting things happen. So one thing that happens is he has a fresh encounter with God, and God shows up in two ways for Elijah. It's really interesting. Um, uh, Elijah goes and he hides in a cave. He still wants to die. Like there's this crazy honesty in these stories, and. Um, there's kind of this weird setup where there's wind and there's an earthquake and there's a fire. And that's like kind of all the like big, powerful God stuff that we kind of expect. But it's, it keeps saying over and over that God wasn't in those things. He wasn't in the wind. He wasn't in the earthquake. He wasn't in the fire. And then after all that, um, God whispers to him. And it's, it's in the whisper that he finds him. And he kind of reconnects with his the spiritual sense of who he is and energy. And so I think, I think in some ways, in part of the recovery from burnout is figuring out how do we get a fresh sense of God's power and how do we get a sense of his, his intimate access, you know, the intimate access. So it's power and intimacy um, or immediacy. Sometimes we describe it that way. But there's a spiritual dimension of this that shouldn't be lost on us. And um, you know, ultimately, if we're working too hard and doing too much and feeling like Nobody cares. That's that's actually rooted in our relationship with God and maybe even anger uh, at God for where, where we feel like we've ended up. Uh, another part of Elijah's encounter with God involved truth. And God told Elijah the truth. So Elijah's like, everything I've done is a waste of time. I'm the only prophet left. Like the whole thing is meaningless. And God's like, no, you're not. Um, I gave you all this 
this victory that happened. There's 7,000 other people that are just like you, and this, they're, they're all great people. You just don't perhaps remember or know who they are. He did know who some of them are, though, so he, he was exaggerating to the negative. You know, part of the truth was, I'm not done with you yet, Elijah. I've got more for you to do. And that really leads to the next thing that's part of the story, where God gives Elijah an assignment, a sense of, you're going to go over here, and you're going to pick anoint this king and all that stuff. And that some of that stuff's hard for us to perhaps relate to, but it's just the sense that I think, you know, by getting rest and food and sleep, by getting time away alone, by having this encounter of God with God, Elijah walks away with this sense of purpose. His sense of purpose is renewed and he goes back into the fight. And, um, and then he acts, he does it. He doesn't just hear it, he goes and does it. And, you know, for, for me, when I experienced, I went through, I, I see a lot, personally, I went, had a lot of parallels to, to those things that there was a break. I think we do need to somehow break the cycle if we're feeling burned out, we have to have some way to break it. Um, even if it's just a really well-planned, really unplugged weekend, we need to break that cycle. And then we need to dial in, I think, both spiritually and practically to our, our, our sense of purpose that so we can bring that back into a, and perhaps a challenging, toxic environment. Or maybe we, our purpose is that we, need, we realize it's really time to move on. It's time to take the risk of leaving. Uh, instead of staying in that broken place and you know it's time to move on but we need to do that we need and then we need to act obviously which is is the end so it's of this cycle so it's like we got to break the cycle we need to kind of reboot and then we need to act accordingly as we move forward and um, a couple other things that i thought might you know as we think about solutions here in this one um, people you might want to include in a listening tour as you take a break try and find a reset try and recover uh, your doctor you know, what, is there anything physical going on? When's the last time you had a checkup, um, a real one? Not just ran into a clinic because you had a, you know, runny nose or whatever, but like really, really get it, get it, talk to a doctor, uh, a therapist or your therapist even better because, you know, burnout's not exactly the same as uh, depression or anxiety. They can feed on each other, but they're not the same. So there might be things there that you need to, to look at a little differently. There might be some unresolved pain, loss, uh, other things in your history that are feeding, that are just being inflamed in a sense or by the, by the burnout. A mentor, somebody who knows you well, your spouse, of course, if you're married, uh, and trusted friends. Like We already talked about isolation being a cause of burnout, so act differently and uh, include, include some really important conversations in your recovery. So guys, what do you think about Elijah's journey from I'm dead. And I'm done, and I want to be dead to uh, be back in the game. I mean, that's a that's a burnout recovery story. It's a great it's a great burnout recovery story. I have these mixed feelings about these prophets. You know, on the one hand, uh, their lives are brutal. They they do all these th- weird, crazy you know stuff that God puts them through. On the other hand, they have like this direct connection with God, who puts them on this recovery program. If you think about. Elijah's program like who doesn't want God crafting for you your seven steps to recovery to get you back in the game it feels like he's got a a real uh, fast track here with someone who's giving him great wise advice couldn't be better yes I I hear that I agree with that I love the journey and what you're talking about with the all-inclusive resort I mean like goodness, <laughs> I would love to go on a cruise by God, where you just focus on sleeping and eating. It sounds amazing. But it also took me back to an early mentor that I had back in the 1900s. 
he talked about this beautiful practice he had where he would move into a season of prayer and he'd spend extended time praying. He'd often lay out on the floor before the Lord and he'd end up falling asleep in the midst of his prayer time. He felt like that was this gift from God and then he'd wake up in this prayerful attitude and continue praying. But for me, I think I just, I fought this idea of falling asleep in prayer for so long and felt like I had to simply stay wide awake to pray. But what I heard in my mentor from my mentor was this invitation to just rest, to, to commune with God, right? To sleep and eat with God and rest when I need to and, and then have the Lord wake me up to return to prayer. So, so that's what was going on for me uh, when you started talking through these steps to recovery. Yeah. And it's interesting too, Chip, what, what you're not saying here. Like what you're not saying is, well, there's some minor things you might want to tweak in your process or maybe add, read this book or add this little spiritual practice. You know what I mean? This is not a small deal. What you're basically saying is you need a, you need a major break from your patterns and your rhythms. You need to get away. This is about like retreat, reset, come back. And it, you know, major problems have drastic solutions, right? They come with them. And it seems like, you know, we need to kind of embrace that, I think, if, if it's gotten this bad. Yeah, I, th I think that's a great point. And, and I, I want to be sensitive. I mean, I think, you know, those of us who are, you know, the very, very, very few of us who don't have to work for money can, you know, take a year off or whatever. And we have some friends and clients who have done that kind of thing. Um, you know, I had, I had saved up my vacation when I took my break in 2007. And uh, the board of directors uh, gave me a couple extra weeks. So I, I had six weeks, you know, so that was that. But I now understand everybody can't do that. Um, and so, but the still, I still think there's a, I still think what, I want to put a fine point on what you're saying. I, I just think you got to stop the cycle somehow, like, and, and it's going to take some effort and, um, and, and a real, real pl a plan, you know, and, and, and some work. Um, that's, that's part of the definition of burnout is like the normal things that you do just to kind of catch your breath don't work. And so, um, you know, you need to, you need to get your head straight. You need to get some sleep, real sleep and, and figure that out. Um, and we all know things are so much easier to sort through when you've had a, a good night's sleep. I mean, it's just, it sounds ridiculous, uh, like super simple, sappy, too easy, but it's not always easy to get a good night's sleep and things are much better when you do. I think there's a difference between being busy and, um, and then being busy because you're afraid of being still, right? I mean, you can, you can be busy because things are overwhelming, but you can also be busy because you don't want to run into some of those emotions that might be unpleasant. And so, you keep yourself moving or busy so that you don't have to think about those things. So that's that kind of mindless activity becomes a real problem and it's a it's in direct contract with actual restful activity. The only way to get through burnout is to actually go through what it is that you're dealing with. You don't recover from burnout by avoiding the issues that brought on the situation. That's right. The only way over it is to go through it. Yeah, like if conflict, unresolved conflict is feeding your burnout, and that was that's almost always part of mine. Um, you got to go resolve it, right? Like that's you know, it's, you're not gonna like there's real things to deal with here uh, that need to be addressed. I think that's a great point, Sarah. Yeah, very well said. 
Anything to add there, Ken? Oh, I like it. I'm. I. I want to get to the um, next section because I'm. I. I, I, I want to avoid this in the first place. <laughs> yeah. So we've let's let's do that. So we've created some questions that we think all of us should think about, and these are questions that that fit into whether you're in burnout or if you want to avoid it. Like you could use them uh, in either case. Uh, but you know, what causes? The first is about cause. What causes burnout, or what 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 of the causes, which of the causes are you most prone to? Go back to that list and think through, like, where, is your, where are you vulnerable? Where's the risk? Um, the second question has to do with meaning, you know, and how do you find, how do you mine the work you're doing now for meaning, even if it's not the work you ultimately want to do? Because one of the things that sort of piles in on us sometimes when we get, when we feel burned out is that our work doesn't matter. You know, and for pastors, it's like our churches aren't big enough. You know, they're not growing fast enough. And some of you think, really, pastors think about that stuff? Oh, yeah, that's what we think about. That's what we talk about. And we meet each other at conferences. And so, but the, and that's how we measure our meeting, meaning. I'm not saying that's correct. And so, you know, when we really peel back the layers, we find that all of our work can, be ma- can matter to God. It's all part of putting uh, disordered creation back together for the sake of human flourishing. It all can be done for him and to honor him. And that's, that's what we would call, in Voca land, we would call that a theology of work. And it's how it brings a sense of eternal meaning to your work, no matter what your work is. No matter where you work, whether it's your dream job or your nightmare job, um, it's, it's, it can kind of be an equilibrium. So how can you find meaning in your work today, even if it's the ultimate, not the ultimate work you want to do? Uh, alignment. Uh, and this, this gets to that sense of greater purpose. You know, how, what does it look like to align your activity uh, on a daily basis with your sense of calling or mission? Um, and how well do you understand your God-given design uh, to do that? You know, and Sarah, when you were talking about that person who went in that issue of contribution, you know, sometimes we have to we have to find ways to do like micro contributions and micro alignments with our our gifts and our talents for where we are right now to get to places in the future where we're going to have you know macro alignment. And uh, but alignment's a big thing. Like, how do you even know what alignment looks like beyond just well, if that I like that, and I don't like that. We we think we can we can bring some real detail to that and and an intelligent conversation to that kind of a question. Uh, relationships, um, you know, this is an interesting area. Would you describe yourself as isolated, or really sharing the journey with wise fellow travelers? And what's behind your answer to that question? You know, are you are you sharing the journey? And if yes or no, and and why? You know, what's going on there? Um, a third, a fifth uh, thing is uh, has to do with options. You know, what are your options? What options are you are available to you now? Like, what's really an option? And we we work with people all the time, and they have I wouldn't even call them hypotheses. They're more like they're wishes. Like they're they're like fingers crossed. Beyond, like not even as not even as sure as a hail mary pass. Like they are really really flimsy ideas, and they hang a lot of hope on those things. Yeah, but what are your real options? That what what are your real possibilities of things you could do and do differently? Um, so that's that that pulls us back into facts, and you know we think God is involved in the facts on the ground. Um, the idea of a break. We talked a lot about a break today in this podcast. You know what kind of break do you think you need, and how will you know? How will you know what kind of break you need, and who do you need to talk to about a break? So, break the cycle. Uh, two more. Great expectations is number seven, and. You know, how, how realistic are your expectations for your work life? You know, as we pulled, pulled a panel of, of really experts on this, really, uh, really successful people who, who really are trying to serve God in the context of their jobs, 
you know, one of the things they just reminded us of is that we'll work as hard and it's demanding and it's not always going to be, you know, it's not a picnic. It's not a, it's not a vacation. It's work. And so there's a, there's a balance there. So what are your expectations for work? And then the last one is, has to do with prevention. Like what kind of rhythms do you need to put into place to avoid going back or sliding back into burnout? So there we go. We put those in the chat as well. But uh, eight, eight kind of areas of questions just to, to ponder to either get out of burnout or to stay out of burnout. Ken, you were very enthused about this list, so I want to I want to hear what you've got to add. Here. Yes, yeah, I, I'm enthused because I don't want to burn out, and um, and what I realized in listening to this is that burnout is actually the logical result of being in a broken world and overworking or under uh, under under strategizing, not having the right balance and the right mix. And I feel like our lives are never fully in balance, like we're always kind of teetering, you know, around a little too much of this, too much of that. But if left without any kind of prevention strategy, I think burnout is just kind of the logical extension of, you know, working in a world that's chaotic and we're overworked and underpaid and pulled in all the different directions and so on. So I feel like this, especially number eight, this idea that you can prevent burnout, how? By essentially taking a little mini retreat as a way to, to build in some of these some of these rhythms maybe it's once a year or once a quarter you know you go away for a night or a weekend or you spend one week a year something like this right some kind of rhythm where even though you're not burned out you're keeping yourself tied into you know your goals your purpose your creator you know you're you're doing the resting and eating and you're you know you're fueling up for that next season i think that's really important so it doesn't get to the place where your only solution is six weeks off yeah so i have several clients who do that they regularly practice this idea of a planning retreat and they get away by themselves for a professional planning retreat or they take the people who are important to them um, in their personal life for a personal retreat you know like their friends or their spouse um, to do some personal planning but that kind of healthy rhythm allows them the space to begin to deal with burnout before it actually becomes burnout. So they deal with the exhaustion, they deal with the misalignment, they deal with the toxicity in the workplace before it becomes an issue of, of absolute burnout. Uh, and you're right, Chip, we, we've talked a lot about different things that almost all of these ways of resolving it include a break, taking a long break from work for recovery. And, and to Ken's point, it doesn't have to happen in a long uh, span of time. These breaks can happen in a day of really good rest or even thinking through, how are you gonna utilize your lunch break? What are you gonna do during lunch? Uh, and tomorrow, what are you gonna do to rest and restore to get ready for the rest of the day? Now, we can think about those pause moments we build um, and when can you catch your breath, whether it's 15 minutes at the start of your day or 15 minutes at the end. So you can actually bookend your day without feeling like you're behind the game if you've got a little bit of a breather um, to recover and a little bit of a head start on the next day. I, there's a couple things I'd, I want to, I just love what you said. So even that, like what you do with your lunch. So I have a client who used to have a lunch to themselves and that was a, a recharge point during the day and then they hired a couple new people and they felt like they needed to invest in them so they invited them to lunch 
every day. Wow. And now they're feeling fried. Yeah. And it's, it's like, this is again, like they actually just changed everything. They just changed the way they live. Uh, you know, so what we've started to do is look at, well, what's an ideal week look like and how much time should you really spend with those guys and men is it? And so I think there is a lot of, there's power in those little things. And the other thing I just, I want to talk about, cause we have expectations on the list, you know, for work in general, but I don't know what you guys have experienced, but when I've taken time away, I never get like this epiphany. Like, you know, the heavens don't open and angels don't descend and deliver me like a message or a meal for that matter, uh, you know, which is what happened to Elijah. What happens is I rest. I have times for uninterrupted thought and I come back usually feeling rested, but I but I don't really see the effects of it like instantly, which is, you know, I'm very microwave in my some of my expectations for that. But it's not really what happens. It's more like. Over time, you realize, oh, that was really good for me. I'm thinking more clearly. I've got more energy. I've, I've, I've got a little bit more courage uh, to say no or do the hard things. I don't, I don't. So I just think even when we talk about the break, um, it, it's not always, or you, maybe at least in my case, it's not usually like a lightning bolt. It's more like it's part of a diet that helps. And what do you guys think of that? Yeah, I think that's. I think that's right. And I think it's because of how we're wired, right? How how we are as humans, that we need all of these things all the time, but in different amounts, it can be strategic and we can, you know, we, we can use that energy. I was wondering if your client example, Chip, was an introvert, you know, an introvert yeah, losing his alone were. time. Yeah, yep. an introvert losing his alone time in the middle of the day. That just sounds like a recipe uh, for disaster. And now he's filling his time with what? He's pouring into other people, which is kind of like relationships. But I, I would love to hear more clarity from you on relationships, because I think you mean something really specific when you're talking about point number four. You know, are you isolated or are you sharing the journey with wise travelers? Spending time alone sounds positive in a way, but being isolated on the journey sounds negative. Well, which one is it? Like, give us some clarity on alone versus together and the relationships. What do you what are you really trying to advocate for? Well, you could be alone in a crowd, right? Which is probably where you're going. And just because, um, of course, we were all alone for a while at some point, I think, during the pandemic. So that's, I mean, physically. So the, the idea is that um, it's not about being around people or, or not being around people. It's really not about a physical thing. It's more about um, do I have, I would call them intentional relationships or even friendships, spiritual friendships, where I'm connected with a group of people where I am sharing, I'm disclosing. It's safe to disclose what's really going on, what I'm really feeling, what I'm really wrestling with. I'm, this has taken different forms for me, but right now, like for the last two years almost, I've been in a group of, of guys. We meet every Tuesday morning on Zoom. Um, we're all over the country, and we spend an hour, hour and 15 minutes together, and we talk about our lives and and we ask, and if somebody like gives a lame answer or doesn't really like, it's obvious that they're either being super surfacey, or they just gave a, they just try to deflect. We push each other. We call it out to be more. I mean, you could use the word intimate. It's just to be, it's just to be transparent. And so I think that's. I mean, any kind of like, you get a coach, you get a mentor, you've got friends. I mean, intentional relationships where we're really talking about what's going on, what really matters, and then deal, and then channeling that openness and intimacy into positive action where that's followed up on that's what i mean by that ken i, I mean it's it's pretty 
pretty deep, intentional friendship um, as opposed to having people to hang out with. Hey, on the poll, uh, people wanted some more info on the core strategy for burnout, which we're basing on the Elijah story. And it's real. actually, just to put just to summarize it more clearly, perhaps, the, the big idea is that some the core strategy is to catch your breath and get back in the game. Like, that's it. It's find a way to catch your breath. I would say reconnect with God's, pur- God's purpose for you and then get back into the game. It's not, um, sometimes getting back into the game does mean changing your job. And it's kind of a good time to change your job, generally speaking. Like, probably the best it's ever been in the last 20, 30 years. And it could vary by industry, but overall, it's a really good time to change your job. Um, but we're not saying it's always the thing to do. It's just that that's part, that could be a strategy. That's how, that's, but the big idea is that you find a way to break that cycle, catch your breath, um, dive into some of the issues, the causes, ask the hard questions, do that with trusted people, and then get back in the game. Um, and it's interesting to me that Elijah really wasn't out of the game very long. And they did everything slower back then. You know, like, that's like a long time ago. Like, I don't remember. It's like 3,000 years ago or something like that. But, you know, he gets a 40-day break and he's back at it, which some of you would love a 40-day break. I understand that. But I'm still like, I don't know. I just think of things, why didn't he take three years off? Like, that's, you know, if the birds are going to, birds are going to feed you, like, just take, <laughs> take, take an extended. And um, he doesn't have to do that. So it's it's not necessarily long. It doesn't necessarily take a long time. Right. It, <clears throat> but one of the key parts of that is you're waiting until you experience that fresh encounter with God. And I think that's that's what helped him to, to receive the truth and to be recommissioned and to move forward and get back into the game. I think he had lost something that he needed to refine and to get that fresh intimacy back. Um, you, you can go a long way on a fresh encounter with God. Yeah. And I think the hope here is that we're not storing up a singular fresh encounter with God, you know, kind of like a camel, right? That we, we've got it until it wears out and then we need another uh, fresh encounter with God. It's like we, we really need to connect deeply to the heart of God in order to recover from what we've experienced. And, and then we get those micro realignments on a daily basis where we're creating this healthy rhythm of connecting deeply to the heart of God, where we hear his voice whispering, in our ear. This is the way. Walk in it. And then we can sense his companionship on the journey as opposed to feeling like it's all up to us to hash out the details and figure out how to make life work. Yeah. And it's interesting, you know, as you say all that, I was thinking, well, how many, like some of us would probably say, I can't just like hang out in the woods until I have a fresh encounter with God. Like I have to go to work. I have to you know, I have to feed my family. I've got to get done. I got to run my kids around. I got to do these things. And so, you know, I just wonder realistically, you know, how do we how do we kind of bake this in? And I think, um, you know, most of us do get some vacation time, and we really need to think about how we use it, because um, some vacations are just as exhausting as work. Um, so, so we need to think about that, because we have limited amount of time. And like, if you had to use your vacation to recover from burnout and kind of get your groove out groove back that would just be that would be better for everybody you know that'd be the best use of that vacation time for your whoever the people are that you love and depend on you so that there's always that piece there's that daily like how can i tweak my daily process um 
you know, listening to a sermon on your commute might be, I'm not sure, but it might be better than listening to the news or even like a novel. I don't know. Like, you, like you think about the, think about the buckets you have and how you can adjust those to kind of, because, you know, a lot of us have responsibilities and commitments and we can't just stop, uh, per se, but we can usually stop for a little bit and we fill in a lot of those cracks with things that like you start to get fried. It's time to just start saying no to the extra things that drain you and try and figure out how to replenish. We're going to need to leave it at that. And, uh, it's been great to talk about this subject of burnout. It's not inevitable. Uh, there are things that we can do to monitor ourselves and the way we're working and God has wisdom for us to keep us from, from running into the ditch. And he's got grace for us to get us out of the ditch, uh, when we end up there. And so he's got both of those things for us. Uh, we want to especially thank, uh, the contributors to this content. Uh, Cheryl Batchelder, Greg Brenneman, Bob Dahl, D.G. Elmore, Catherine Flax, Caroline Ragsdale, David Ridley, Scott Stevenson, and Missy Wallace. They all spoke in uh, to our outline and kind of the flow of our content, and we really appreciate that. And we really appreciate all of you tuning in, listening. Uh, We'd love to journey with you, so let us know how we can do that. Take care. If you're looking for support and counsel for your dilemmas at work, reach out to us for coaching. We would love to help you find and apply God's wisdom to your work life. Our clients consistently report a sense of relief and clarity as they work with a faith-based certified coach. You can sign up for an initial coaching conversation at vocacenter.org consult. This conversation was recorded in front of a live virtual audience, and you can be a part of that audience. Register to join us and shape the conversation with your questions. Sign up for the next live webinar at vocacenter.org slash webinar.